Darren and piano players and orchestra. Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10. We're just going to read the first two verses to start with, but we'll be covering from verses 1 through to 20 tonight. Before I get waved at. (laughs) I'm getting a thumbs up, so that's a good sign. Exodus chapter 10, starting in verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these my signs before him, and that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know how that I am the Lord. Let's open a word of prayer this tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this chance to be able to come underneath the preaching of your word, Lord, to be able to just continue to look at each of these plagues that we've been looking at. Lord, just thank you for the reminders that we've got so far from them. And Lord, as we continue on tonight, looking at this eighth plague, Lord, we just pray that we might be able to just see your hand of uh, love and your hand of mercy upon the Israelites, your guiding hand upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians, Lord, how you have been able to just take hold in each and every situation here. You've been able to lead it to where you wanted it to go with hearts, Lord, that were turned hard against you. Lord, we just pray that as we spend this time tonight just studying your word out and to be able to just see what occurs in this passage here, Lord, we just pray that we might be able to walk away honouring and glorifying you. Lord, being able to just share your message with others be able to share of your love and your mercy, your love and, uh, and your grace. We just pray, Lord, this night that you might just hide me behind your cross, Lord. Hide me behind your word and instead allow you to be the one who comes forth, Lord, the, the one that people can be able to see, and that your name might be lifted up and praised and glorified. We just pray that you might bless every, each aspect this night. Allow your name to be glorified, we pray in Christ's precious and wondrous name. Amen. In her memoirs of her life as a young pioneer, Laura Ingalls Wilder, who I had no idea who was two days ago, which my wife was almost disgusted with me about. It's not a book that guys... Tim's probably looking at me going, who? <laughs> Good. It wasn't just me, Tim. I'm glad. Laura Ingalls Wilder recalls a day the strange dark cloud descended on the Minnesota, at Minnesota Prairie. Plump! Something hit Laura's head and fell to the ground. She looked down and saw the largest grasshopper she had ever seen. Then huge brown grasshoppers were hitting the ground all around her, hitting her head and her face and her arms. Then came thudding down like hail. The cloud was hailing grasshoppers. The cloud was grasshoppers. Their bodies hid the sun and made the area darkness. Their thin, large wings gleamed and glittered. The rasping whirring of their wings filled the whole air, and they hit the ground and the house with the noise of a hailstorm. Laura tried to beat them off. Their claws clung to her skin and her dress. They looked at her with bulging eyes, turning their heads this way and that. Mary ran screaming into the house. 
Grasshoppers cover the ground. There was not one bare bit to step on. Laura had had to step on grasshoppers and they smashed squirming and slimy under her feet. Grasshoppers beat down from the sky and swarmed thick over the ground. Their long wings were folded and their strong legs took them hopping everywhere. The air word and the roof went on sounding like a roof in a hailstorm. Then Laura heard another sound. One big sound made of tiny nips and snips and gnawings. The grasshoppers were eating. You could hear the millions of jaws biting and chewing. Day after day, the grasshoppers kept on eating. They ate all the wheat and the oats. They ate every green thing, all the garden and all the prairie grass. The whole prairie was bare and brown. Millions of brown grasshoppers whirred low over it. Not a green thing was in sight anywhere. Laura never forgot that dreadful day, all the hunger and hardship that followed as her family was brought to the edge of ruin. Excuse me. Naturally, when she wrote about her childhood, she included the plague of grasshoppers. It was something to tell her grandchildren. And when we read our Bibles, we come across so many wonderful and different things. And how often do we read a passage and we find something that we've never seen before? These things become something that we then are able to tell our children, our grandchildren, and anyone that we might meet, so that they might be able to learn about and know God better. And that was one of the reasons God was using these plagues. So that the Israelites could be able to tell their children and their grandchildren of what God had done and how he was taking care of his people. And so tonight we're going to look at the stories to tell from the eighth plague. The stories to tell from the eighth plague. Let's first of all look at the meetings. The meetings. Let's start in verse 3. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go, and they may serve me. Else if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locust into thy coast. Once again, Moses comes to Pharaoh asking on God's behalf to let his people go free. And God hits, him, hits Pharaoh with a reminder. His, his reminder is, Pharaoh, you're losing. How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Pharaoh had been through seven previous plagues, and yet time after time he continued to reject God and reject God's requests. And so when this command or the instruction comes forth, let my people go that they may serve me, Pharaoh had probably heard it that many times before. And so as the consequence comes of what will happen if he doesn't let it go, Pharaoh simply hears about the coming locusts. And it's giving Pharaoh once again another warning, another reminder of what was going to come, what was coming his way. A prophecy of what might occur. Yet Pharaoh seems to once more ignore God's instruction. And so Moses simply turns and leaves in verse and the end part of verse 6. And he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh ignores the message and so Moses turns and leaves. I'm sure after that meeting on the sides of Pharaoh's kingdom there was these servants just sitting there gobsmacked that once again Pharaoh had rejected God's request. And so they even come before Pharaoh and they say to him in verse 7, And Pharaoh's servants said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? How long shall this man be a snare unto us, Pharaoh? How long will, you re- will it take for you to realize that Moses is winning? Or that really it's God that's winning. Egypt is basically destroyed, they say to him. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? Haven't you realized yet that this is not working? Let the people go and worship their God. The people of Egypt had already lost so much. They'd lost much of their cattle. They'd lost some of their servants killed in the hail. They'd lost their crops. They'd lost their water. They'd been through painful diseases. Don't you know, Pharaoh, just let the men go so they can be able to serve God. Otherwise, Egypt will be completely destroyed. So Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron back in verse 8. Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh. And he said unto them, Go, serve the Lord your God. Go, serve the Lord. But Pharaoh then tries to put in a little compromise. A little thing that he wants to be able, so that he can be able to hold on to his servants. He says, but who are they that will go? Go serve the Lord your God, but who are they that, will, that, shall, that, they, that shall go? Sorry. And so Moses gives his response in verse 9. And Moses said, we will go with, all, uh, with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds, Will we go? For we must hold a feast unto the Lord. Moses says to him, we all will go. Everyone and everything will go because we all want to serve God. We all want to feast together and to worship the Lord together as one. As we read this, I can imagine Pharaoh's face just going red with anger and frustration because it was certainly not the answer he wanted. And he replies, he said unto them, let the Lord be so with you, as I will let you go and your little ones look to it, for evil is before you. This little phrase, let the Lord be so with you, there was a couple of opinions through some of the commentators of what this actually means. One idea was that he was basically saying, only the Lord will be able to help you leave with everyone. Moses was probably thinking, well, yep, of course. God is the one who's going to let us out. God is the one who's going to take all of us out. Only the Lord will be the one to help you leave with everyone. There's no chance of you leaving with everyone except because of the Lord. Well, yes, of course. That's who's going to rescue us. That's what I've told you time and time again, Pharaoh. And how true that would be. The other opinion that this uh, little phrase is seen as is that you will need the Lord with you if you leave with everyone. So it's almost seen like a threat. And either of these both sort of work because it's sort of showing that Pharaoh's just so frustrated and so annoyed that he thinks that God's the only one who's going to be able to save them. And he continues on there and he says, I will let you go and your little ones. 
We can see this, this uh, little phrase here drips with sarcasm. Because he's saying, I will let you go, but then he turns it immediately around and says, for evil is before you. You're only seeking evil, Moses. You're only seeking the evil ways. You want to escape with everyone. And so after being, using his little sarcastic tone, he then goes on in verse 11 and says, Not so. Go now ye that are men and serve the Lord. For that ye did desire. Pharaoh now states his compromise. Only your men can go. Only your men can go. Not your little ones, not your wives, not the herds. Just your men can go and worship the Lord. Pharaoh by this age has already had enough. And so he sends Moses and Aaron out from their presence. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence in the end of verse 11 there. And there the discussion ends. And clearly the compromise was not going to be taken because Moses and certainly God was not going to compromise with Pharaoh. God knew that he could be able to get all of his people out and that's what he was waiting for. But clearly it wasn't time for the Israelites to leave yet. You see, God had more to do. These plagues were not happening for any other reason but to show God's power, to show God's might, to show God's strength over all things. They weren't just for Pharaoh to hope that one of them might eventually get to to the point where he would let his people go. No, God was showing Israel what he could be able to do. And that's why in verse 2, coming back to chapter 10, verse 2, he says, And that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's sons what things I have wrought in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know how that I am the Lord. God says to Moses, This is the reason why I keep on performing these plagues, because I want you and the people of Israel to tell your children and your children's children what I have done. So that you might be able to know and worship and glorify me. You see, back at the very first time when Moses went to Pharaoh, at that moment he could have said, let my people go. When Pharaoh said no, he could have wiped them all out in that instant. God could have wiped them all out right back in that first moment and took his people right from the start. Why didn't he do it? Because he was showing them his might and his power so that the Israelites might worship him. So that Israel would know that he is the Lord God. So they could be then pass it on to their children and their children's children. And throughout all ages, and even for us here, written in God's word, so we could be able to see the mighty power of God. To be able to show that the Egyptians' gods, time after time after time, were completely disproven because he had power over them. To be able to show time after time after time that Pharaoh had no power over the true and only God. God was using this so that they might be able to tell their families and their, the generations to come of what the Lord God had done. Look, in, turn with me to Psalm 78.
Psalm 78 and starting in verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I'll open my mouth in a parable. I'll utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children that the generation to come might know them even the children which shall be born who shall arise and declare them to their children that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. And might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Verse 4, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, and his strength, and his wonderful works that he hath done. God was showing to his people what God has done, and then they were then to show to their children what God had done, and then they were to show to their children what God had done, and passed on through generation to generation, sharing about God's love, sharing about God's power, sharing about the mighty God and what he had done in the land of Egypt to take his people out. We, of course, each and every one of us, have that same role to tell. It might be telling our kids it might be telling people that we meet. It might be telling the youth that we have under us in the youth ministry. It might be telling others that we might know, our friends, our family, that might not know the Lord. Whatever it might be, we each have this role to be able to tell of God's love, God's power, God's might. And serving Him. And I know I'm really absolutely blessed to be able to have that role, to be able to, as a father as a youth leader, as a teacher, to be able to share of God's love, to share of what God has done, to share on a regular and daily basis how God was able to overcome each and every one of Pharaoh's gods and Pharaoh himself. We should then also take God's word and be able to share it with others, share with those that we know and share the stories of Christ. Share the stories of the Old Testament. Share the stories of Daniel. Share the stories of God's Word. Let us learn and study and spend time within God's Word and then share it with others so that we might be able to show to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. So firstly, we had the meeting. Secondly, having rejected Pharaoh's compromise, God brings us the plague. The plague. Let's look in verses 12 to 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come up upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, even all that the hail hath left. And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day, 
And all that night, and when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And locusts went up over all the land of Egypt, and rested in all the coasts of Egypt. Very grievous were they. Before them there was no such locusts as they, neither after them shall be such. For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened. And they did eat every herb of the land, and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. And there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field through all the land of Egypt. As he'd done many times before, Moses now stretches out his hand and his staff over the land of Egypt. And locusts would come upon the wind, as we saw just then in verse 13, filling the land. They covered the land, it says in verse 5, and they shall cover the face of the earth. The one cannot be able to see the earth. Some people, or some of the commentators said that there was a layer upon layer upon layer of locusts, so much so that it went up to about 15 centimetres deep. 15 centimetres of locusts spread across the whole land. That's why you could not even see the land because it was locust upon locust upon locust upon locust for 15 centimetres up. And they fill their houses, whether they were servants or Egyptians alike. In verse 6, And they shall fill thy houses and the houses of all thy servants and the houses of all the Egyptians. And so the land was filled with locusts. No matter where you went, you could not escape them. They were everywhere and they ate everything. In verses 5 and also verse 15. And they shall cover the face of the earth that one cannot be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail, and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field. And also verse 15. Uh, so that the land was darkened and they did eat every herb of the land and all of the fruit trees. Of which the hail had left, and there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field through all the land of Egypt. It was unprecedented times, this plague of locusts. And no matter where you went, there was locusts, and they were eating every single thing left behind. The hail would have cleaned up and taken out most of their crops, but now any crops that might have remained, any crops that might have survived, any crops that the Egyptians were hoping to be able to use as food were being destroyed from these locusts so that no green thing remained in trees or in herbs throughout the whole land. And it was probably at this time Pharaoh probably realised his stubbornness. Because Pharaoh had chosen not to humble himself. Instead, he'd stayed proud. And you think he would have learnt going through each of these plagues that God was going to do what he'd said he would do. That God was going to bring about the locusts just as he'd promised he would do. But then we can look back through the whole Bible and see once again that Israel would forget time and time again. Even throughout the land of wilderness, even throughout the promised land, they continued to forsake God. Even after all they'd done for him. And we also need to make sure that we do not have this proud heart, but we have a humble heart before the Lord. First Peter chapter 5.
First Peter 5 and verses 5 and 6. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. We're reminded here that we need to make sure that we are not proud, but rather having a humble heart before the Lord. Because it says, For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. We need to make sure that we have a humble heart under the mighty hand of God, so we can be used of him. Pharaoh didn't. Pharaoh, time and time again, had just kept his proud heart, thinking that that would be enough, that he would end up with the win over the Lord God. But in the end, Pharaoh himself would be humbled. One commentator wrote it like this, Those that will not humble themselves, God will humble. Those that will not humble themselves, God will humble. And we need to make sure that we have a humble heart so that we can be able to serve and honour and glorify him. You see, without a humble heart, we are certain to fall. We're certain to fail because our proud and contrite heart will force us to be able to try and go our own ways rather than seeking out the Lord. Instead, we should make sure that we are coming with the humble heart before the Lord. Because our proud heart will get us nowhere, but with the humble heart, we can faithfully serve the Lord. So let's make sure that we place ourselves under God, humbling ourselves before him, so that he, not us, gets the glory. So as God starts to humble Pharaoh, then Pharaoh begins to show the repentance. Thirdly, the repentance. Verses 16 to 19. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. He said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once. Entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. And he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind, which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the coasts of Egypt. The word repentance here comes with the asterisk or little quotation mark of repentance. Because we can tell straight away that it's not a full repentance. We see that in verse 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go. Instead, Pharaoh in verse 16 realises his error. He's humble before God and he's been defeated. And so in haste, he quickly calls in Moses and Aaron. He says to them in verse 17, I have sinned. Oh, sorry, verse 16, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once. I have sinned, forgive my sin only this once. As, he's, as if he's saying, on this rare occasion of sin, please forgive me. Even though time and time again, he's sinned before the Lord and he knows it. And he asked them to entreat the Lord. So the question is, is this really repentance? Well, one commentator said that his confession of sin only comes from fright and fear of punishment. 
He's only turning, or, uh, uh, turning and asking for forgiveness because he's scared of the punishment coming upon the land of Egypt and upon himself. Really, Pharaoh is trying to save his bacon before it got any worse. And no other commentators say it like this, again we must be reminded of the fact that such a confession and request comes out of practical expediency. It's doubtful that his concern was one of deep spiritual conviction. Rather, he was interested in an immediate deliverance from plague that was about to destroy his land. It's like a fake confession. It's like he's calling out to God and saying, Save me from this problem. I don't want you to take control over any other part of my life, but save me from this problem that's before me and help me out here. But God, in his still loving kindness, still acts in mercy. Verses 18 and 19, he went out from Pharaoh, as Moses went out from Pharaoh, and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind, which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the coasts of Egypt. He removed the plague, taking the locusts away just as he had been asked by Pharaoh, casting the locusts into the Red Sea, and the judgment had been removed. And the, ninth, uh, the eighth plague was over. But fortunately for us, God has provided us the same relief. God has provided us the same relief by sending his son to die upon the cross. Because of the blood of Christ, he has provided a way of salvation. And we shouldn't have to turn just away from it like Pharaoh did, but rather we should come with an actual step of repentance, asking the Lord to save us if we haven't done so. I'm sure most of us here tonight, if not all of us, have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour. Because we know what Christ did. But if there is anyone, the Lord sent His Son to die for you. The Lord sent His Son, Jesus Christ, because there was no other way of salvation. It was only through the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw this morning with the Lord's table how the blood was placed there as a sacrifice for our sins. And that the only way of salvation is that through the Lord Jesus Christ. And those of us that are saved... Once again, it's another reminder of what the God has done for us. The blood has been applied and we can then take that good news. We can take the wonderful joy that he has taken away our sins and taken them upon himself so that we can be able to be saved. And we can then take that good news, take that, the news of salvation to the next generation, telling our children or telling our grandchildren or telling those that we meet, whether it might be within youth groups, whether it might be people we work with, whoever it might be, whether it be people that we go to school with, whatever it might be, we need to be able to share the good news with others. Telling the good news to the next generation. That there is salvation through his son. And that's what, exactly what Israel were told to do right back there in verse 2. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart, 
and the heart of his servants, that I may show these my signs before him, and that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know how that I am the Lord. We need to take what we know, take these stories of Exodus and of Genesis and throughout the Old Testament and New Testament and share those with the loved ones that we have. Sharing the gospel message with those that we meet. Sharing the gospel message with those that we come in contact with. Sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can be able to share it with the next generation. Very soon, the Israelites would be able to see the salvation as he removed his people from the land of Egypt and taking them out to the promised land. As they saw the Passover lamb and saw the beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be able to take that same message to those that we love, to those that we meet, to anyone that we come across. Sharing the gospel message to them. And following the command that's given to us in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let us go and tell the good news to the next generation, to all those that will hear, so that many will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Saviour. Let's close in a word of prayer this night. Dear wonderful and heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we just thank you for the gospel message hidden throughout the whole each part of the Bible, that we can be able to see the way of salvation was provided right back there in the Garden of Eden. Lord, we just pray that you might help us as parents, as students, as work colleagues, Lord, to be able to see those that we work with, those that we know, those that we love as our mission field. Lord, help us to be able to share your word with them and to be able to go forth and tell the next generation to tell those that we care for, those that we love, those that we work with about the gospel of Christ. And we just pray that you might help us to be like the nation of Israel, sharing, with your, uh, sharing to each um, family member, each person that we meet about what God has done so they might be able to see the Lord God in all his glory. Help us to be able to go forth and spread the gospel message to all those that we meet, we pray. In Christ's precious and wondrous name.